Welcome to the Indie Women Podcast, where we introduce you to the fearless women taking their filmmaking careers into their own hands, showing you how indie films get made. And here's your host, Heather Turman. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Indie Women Podcast, a show dedicated to the women in the indie film world who have found success bringing their projects to life on their own terms. I'm your host, Heather Turman. And after a brief two-week hiatus, I apologize, um, we are back with all new episodes. Um, and this week, I I got to have such a fun time with this interview. Um, I think you guys, as always, are in for a treat, but especially so this week. Um, I sat down with Emily Maya Mills, who is a Los Angeles-based comedy creator, originally from San Francisco. Um, before shifting her focus to longer format storytelling, she was named a funny female to follow on Twitter by the Huffington Post, and she recorded a stand-up album by a thread on A Special Thing Records. As an actor, she's appeared on Orange is the New Black, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Key and Peele, and Parks and Rec, um, all kinds of things. She's amazing. But she decided to make that pivot to longer form storytelling, and she went back to school and got her MFA um, in the cinematic arts at USC. So while there, um, Emily placed her first three films in festivals and won the opportunity to direct the university-funded film Boo Hagger Shadow Man, which I had the I, I got to see. I feel so uh, lucky to have gotten to see it, and it's excellent. I mean, Emily's voice and and her lens is so clear. Um, she is dedicated to tackling difficult stories with humor and cinematic depth, and I can tell you from first-hand viewing experience that she absolutely achieves that goal in her work. Um, and you guys, we got to have the best chat about making, about shifting, about shifting from sketch and stand-up to, to longer form storytelling and, and what that looks like. And, you know, and also we, we vibed about, um, you know, the, the pool of, of talent in the comedic, community and in the comedy community in Los Angeles and and she too pulls from there so we got we got to have a really great conversation about about all this kinds of stuff um her films are amazing I have no doubt in my mind that Emily Maya Mills is going to be a household name as a writer and director in the very near future um so please sit back relax and enjoy my inspiring conversation with Emily Maya Mills Hello. Hi. Hi. Welcome, Emily Maya Mills to Indie Women. Thank you for having me. It is honestly my sincerest pleasure. Um, I have followed your comedy work for years. And so um, seeing you seg uh, way, not that you're not doing comedy, but go really um, passionately in the direction of film has been fun. Um, and so just to give the viewers sort of, a, you know, all that I know about you is that you are a stand-up comic writer, um, and, um, now a, an accomplished director who did you just graduated the USC program? I did in May. So yeah, May of 2021. Congratulations. Wild. Thank you. I, um, I finished, I guess, post screened my final film was done with classes and inoculated like 14 days on the same day. And my brain just sort of turned to dust for a little, for a little while, as you can imagine, it was a lot. Um, yeah. To come and, down from. Yes, exactly. A little, um, quite, took quite a bit of decompression to be a person again, but it was yeah, totally. Well, yeah. It was, it was, it was a wonderful, it turned in, it's a three-year program, which is already forever and um, turned into three and a half with COVID because my thesis, which I had been prepping for a year was obviously caught in COVID. 
and I would have been shooting May of 2020. So um, I would have been working on post through that summer and I would have been done earlier, but rather than doing that, obviously we weren't shooting that summer and uh, <laughs> wasn't yeah. working on post, needed to figure out what my final project was gonna be then as well. So it was, uh, it was, it couldn't have worked out better, I think, considering. Okay, that, that's, that's good. Yeah, considering, exactly. <laughs> yes, yes, so, yes. And, and as you say that, well, first, I mean, how did you make the decision? Were you, did you go to undergrad for film or did you go for something else? How did you make this decision? I went to undergrad for acting specifically at Emerson. So it was a BFA. Um, so I had this theater training background. I definitely came to LA. Um, I had done comedic roles in high school and college, but I didn't start doing comedy until I got to LA. Um, a lot of my comic friends who came up in San Francisco as comics, but I'm from there and I didn't start there. So there's that sort of, um, it was fun when they all started moving down here because there's a little bit more mulching of the- Sure. There were about, there was a while I was here and never would I ever see anyone from San Francisco in LA. It was just like, <laughs> There was no, there was never an exodus until much later through the comedy scene, which was fun. Yeah, I feel like I have met so many people from in comedy who hail from San Francisco and yes. everybody talks about it like it is the greatest place to be an artist, you know, or at least it was at one it point. Was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, I mean, it's everyone's priced out right now. It's a very different city than it was right now. Um, I hope that San Francisco always has its sort of like Phoenix rising, um, you know, pattern to it's like, like any city, hopefully there will be a time when art is more easily fosterable there. You know, it's that there's a real situation with the real estate. Yeah. And yeah, a lot of artists can no longer live there and certainly comics. I mean, the scene was great there for a time. It was really, I mean, the comedy scene was exceptional and a lot of those venues you know, I just remember doing these great runs and like um, there was a little tiny cynic cave. It was a little tiny like hole underneath a Lost Weekend video, which was a video rental place and the mission. And it was like, you know, you could touch the ceiling and it was like true theater seats, very cozy. That type of space, obviously, like there's no longer a video rental store in the mission yeah. because it's all <laughs> like you know, little shops that sell vintage typewriters and maybe, you know, a handmade smock or something. It's right. Just, it's very different. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I'm glad. So you didn't do it there, but you started it here. Um, yes. I started comedy in LA as well. And, and that's always a strange thing for people to wrap their mind around because most people start it elsewhere and sort of find their voice and then. Which I would advise. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It was, it was a hard, uh, hard journey for me and it still has its challenges. So, um, for sure. But, yeah. um, so, so you went to Emerson, um, and got a degree in acting and you were doing stand up, acting maybe a little bit. How did you, when did you realize like, Hey, I'm like, I've got a fucking eye. I've, I know how to bring, <laughs> like, when did that all come to be? I think I had always, um, in my mind, I was like, one day I will direct, but you know, I don't think you really know what that is until you're doing it. So it was, that was sort of a, a, a blind ambition, I would say, um, before really understanding it. And then as time went on as a comic, I was always, um, 
like I was a multi-lane kind of approach person. I started with improv. I did a lot of sketch. I sort of, I could have focused more specifically on character stuff because that was sort of my wheelhouse. I did one woman shows um, and then stand-up was calling as well. So in the end, you know, I focused more, I think on the, the character stuff and the stand-up um, <laughs> truly because I had a, I have such a love for improv, but one day I was like, it is not monetizable. <laughs> it's like, it will never be monetizable. I have to focus on, you know, I have to narrow my focus a little bit and I just have to pick. And that's sort of how I ended up focusing more on stand-up and um, character stuff, which I love. Um, and I think basically what happened for me was on the acting front, um, auditioning is my kryptonite and put me on set Same. and I will knock it out of the park. But I, for specific cognitive design, you know, reasons, and also probably some social anxiety stuff, just like my specific recipe. I think it took me a little bit too long to realize like, that's okay. You know, that's, that's truly, uh, it's unfortunate that that's part of the game. I'm very good at acting, but I'm also ultimately a storyteller. So, you know, like even when I was doing lots and lots and lots of sketch, I was, for me, it was an opportunity to make tiny plays and write short scripts, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, So that being the overarching sort of umbrella for everything that I was doing uh, became more clear. And at a certain point with auditioning, I was like, I feel like I'm a UPS driver delivering my body all over. (laughs) Totally. I think, I think I have, uh, there's more value to my time. I really just was like, became convinced that that wasn't um, the highest vibration for, for you. my time on the planet, you know, and I had always wanted to direct. And it was one of these things I knew I wanted to do. It was it, partly, you know, the commitment to the program was like, let's get off the road with this running all over the place stuff and focus on storytelling. Mm-hmm. I did so much live performance and so many shows and posterity was not my focus. I mean, I love the art form of live performance and I just wasn't even that interested for a very long time in trying to capture it for any reason, then I think, you know, my art and storytelling sort of evolved to a point where I was like, what are we doing? We got to <laughs> make this and make it, you know, <laughs> make it for the world, for the, the, for audiences on a new level. And I just got very interested. I think that actually started for me um, when I started writing pilots and longer scripts. Sure. Everything you just said, like, I'm really like, I identify completely, Um, you know, the transition from, um, you know, cause yeah, I wrote like video sketches and and stand up and all that stuff. And and I love it, but there, there, there became this like need to express myself in a deeper way um, that didn't have to necessarily, that was, that would offer like a little more like poignant observation, you know, um, and messages that a simple setup punch, you know, doesn't really, right. there are certain artists, certain standups who do that really well, but that was never my thing. And so, yeah, writing scripts really changed my perspective of yes. the power of storytelling. Yes. And more, what I call more complete storytelling. I think yeah. that's something that like was attracting me at the time and was something that I was really interested in focusing when I, on when I got there, which is complete storytelling, meaning dimension, completely dimensional. So yeah exactly what you're saying stand on stage and talk to a microphone which I, I love like uh, you know 
top of my list of things in the life on the planet in this life that I absolutely love. But um, the 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 yeah, just in the same way that I love cooking, say I'm a home cook or whatever. It's like it's finding the dimensionality, layering it out, and really developing, you know, the most complete, yeah, <laughs> you know, observable from all sides version of the art form, which I love. Yeah, it's more rich. It's, mm -hmm. um, you know, richer and, and I think it, because uh, yeah, stand up and talking to a into a microphone and all that is energetically amazing for everybody there that night. But right. like, and you know, but even like, even watching comedy that's, you know, like a special, I don't even feel the same, even my favorite comics that make me, um, you know, like give me an ab workout when I'm watching them live. Um, really get you. <laughs> yeah, their specials. I mean, I, I I laugh, but not like the way that I do live. And so, like, that energy lives in that space for that short amount of time. Right. And with like film, you get to it gets to reach people in perpetuity. You know, like right. forever. Right. So. Right. And I would argue too. Um, there are certain specials that I think sort of are their own thing, mm -hmm. become their own medium and mine out what is possible with a special, like Joe Winger is someone who I think he did, he, he, he did stand up for a short period of time. He's now more of a professional writer, but when he got to do this Comedy Central special, his background had been mostly improv for a very long time. And he was able to put together something that was just so uniquely him, his voice. And it was one of my favorites. It just wasn't standard at all. Yeah. Like Comedy Central special, but it was so creative. Um, Bo Burnham's new special, obviously, is amazing. Of that, where it's like that then becomes the medium, what you did with it and how it's um, fulfilled in a more complete or different way then becomes the medium. So it's not exactly special anymore. It's like you've kind of done the thing. Um, I was talking to somebody about that, even Berbiglia as well, like touring with a show, you know, one man shows, storytelling shows that were so specific to him. Yes. And developing that as a medium itself. And then, of course, where do you go from there? But you make them into movies, so. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly, exactly it. Um, yeah, I, I love all that. And I love, I love the thought process of how, you know, you, the realization that improv can't be monetized. <laughs> hysterical, because I mean, really, improv is a magical thing that really sharpens the skills of an actor, I think, more than anything. Mm -hmm. And, um, but yeah, it doesn't parlay. People don't watch an improv show and think, oh, I want to hire that person as a writer. Like, mm -hmm. you know, so yeah, it, it's I've interesting. Seen, seen the phenomenon where it's so surprising that some of the best improvisers I know can't write a pilot, can't write a script, like really just can't do it. Like, it's just completely different. They're different beasts. They could probably take classes or, you know, start focusing on it and, and do all the stuff, but they would need to develop that particular skill, that's screenwriting skill, story development skill, like anybody else. Right. So it doesn't, yeah, directly translate. I mean, I know there are really, really, really funny people who you would just want to have in a room because. Sure. Yeah. Because they're, they always, they elevate the, the comedy always for sure. Right. Um, but it, it's just so much harder because they're, when you go watch like an improv team, everybody is so rich and amazing. I mean, everyone at the groundlings blows my mind and mm -hmm. So few of them you, you see find their way as a performer in this town. And 
Um, but hey, I mean, they made it. They're performing at Groundlings every week. Dream, you know what I mean? So, so no shade. Yeah. But yeah. but there yeah. is that um, there is that thing where it's definitely it's definitely a lot more difficult to monetize a skill like that. Right, um, right, right, right. Yeah, and yeah, you kind of get out there, or at least in my because I'm you know mature for this sort of career change in a way, and I got to be in school with a lot of people who I'm just seeing how it was sort of like I was always like I feel like some people kind of got the answers to what to do. And I was always kind of going, what are, you, what are you supposed to be doing here? And it's true, I mean, they did. And, and some people are being told and trained at a young age, like you wanna focus on writing, you're gonna need these scripts and here's, you know, here are the skills you're gonna to need to be able to create those scripts and here's what you're gonna do with them afterwards. And that's where sometimes, you know, you see successful, funny people out there that you've never met on the open mic scene or right. before and you're like oh that's where they've been they've just they've been they've been working they've been um yeah making making the work putting you know mm -hmm. um totally it's uh, a different a different way of spending time essentially and like the pandemic was interesting because i not only finished the degree and like some projects but my writing partner and i got hired to write a couple of features amazing um, for hire it was amazing it's been amazing and these are non-unions so we weren't in we weren't wg she is now but we weren't wg at the time so this was like through contacts um two different couples who one's like kind of married to a rock star this was his idea she was sort of um overseeing this we're gonna get we're gonna mine this idea out of them and pen it and the other was like two couples who are directing wanted to direct something together and usually work in commercials and music videos and it's been phenomenal and so coming out now <laughs> i'm like man the lockdown really minimized all the running around right right and it really is clarifying like what you can get done when you're not running around yes <laughs> it's, it's uh interesting so now that we're you know we have we've started up my show which is bi bi-weekly um, twice a month, second and fourth Saturdays, and it's outdoors. So that's the only reason I think that we did it and are able to sort of keep, you know, testing the waters with it. Um, safest show in town, I like to say. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, that it's interesting because I'm I'm being really as much as I love and I'm like so lit up by being back and by the process of being able to participate in that art form again, which for me is like. I'll never not do it. Like I'll never not paint. Like some people just need their, you know, yeah, the things that nurture their expression, and that's one of those things that I'll I'll never not do. The temptation is then to go run around town and do a bunch of yes shows and have to park and you know get three minutes and maybe or maybe not you know like what you had or whatever. So yeah. I'm definitely looking at that differently and figuring out how to approach it differently and maybe even more academically after the experience I've had where I'm like, why don't I focus on what I really want to work on and maybe not go up a lot, but see what that says. Yeah, okay. absolutely. And and just for listeners, what um your show is at Spokes? Spoke Bicycle Cafe oh. in Frogtown. It's called the Frogtown Show. And we're at the Frogtown Show LA on Instagram. Spoke is, if you haven't been there, my talk about a magical pandemic proof <laughs> location it's a bicycle cafe you can ride your bike your bike right along the la river ride it in and up to 
the cafe window yeah, and order mimosa and lunch. It's incredible. So. I love it. Yeah. My wife, um, when she, she's from New York and when she moved here, uh, she lived in Frogtown, um, right there. And so when we met, we would take walks, you know, um, she didn't live there anymore, but she was like, I miss LA river. So we would go walk and we'd go to spoke all the time. It's definitely a great spot. Um, especially these times. (laughs) I know. Um, But so what's so talking about comedy and, and, you know, the shift, but then keeping it in your life. One thing I had the pleasure of viewing, you know, um, a couple films that you made, which I like, no, one of them, Il Corpo, was you said you wrote on a Friday and you shot on a Sunday? Yes, I think I wrote it on a Thursday, cast oh, on a Friday, shot on Saturday, Sunday. It, it was a class project. Yeah, it was. I was really happy with how that came. And to there's, me. it's so great, and it's so, um, it's it's you know uh, a comedic um, sort of whodunit type um, project. Uh, with with a great twist and, and hilarious result, hilarious um, whodunit result, <laughs> I guess. Um, but uh, you 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 sourced a lot of people from the comedy community, mm-hmm. and so that's something that I I find interesting because I, that's sort of my favorite thing as well as I feel like being a part of that community. It, it's such a treasure chest of talent. Mm-hmm. Do you find like most of the time you already have when you write something, you've already got a million people that like, do you feel like you already know how you want to cast stuff? Yes, I do. I do. And I have been lucky enough to not really have to go to a full casting process um, much. And because I do kind of have in my head. um, And I was just talking to Mo Welch about this last night. We were talking about how, well, I, when I, when I went back to school, there was an element of it for me where I was like, we got to level up because I'm bringing everybody with me. You know what I mean? Like it was like in my mind, it's just all about like whatever all these like perceived closed entryways are. It's like, no. And I know where the gold is. So yeah, yes, I hear that. Get in there. And um, we were talking about, I think both, both Mo and I have this like life goal like we're gonna make Alana Johnston famous what if we, if we start <laughs> trying you know like there are just so many fun people um yeah very fortunate I look at this oversized reel that I had to cut for this grant thing that I was up for and seven minutes long you know traditionally they're like two but so I'm gonna have to start working on cutting it down soon but every time I watch it I just want to cry because I'm like look at yeah. all these buddies and they're just so damn good yeah no good. totally you're like you need a platform I'll give you a platform like yeah. let's go let's make it yes let's build I, a platform <laughs> I love that so much um and and you really you've done an excellent job of of putting them based on the work that I've seen in where they fit. I noticed um, one of the gentlemen who played the detective in um, Il, Cor- Il Corpo was also in Fanland. Yes. Um, yes, he was, yes, I, I, that was funny. Cause I was like, oh, you're a fed now. You're, you're a detective here, you're a fed now. It's very cute. That's Kevin Kamya, who's one of my favorite comics. And he's someone who's just like murderous. He's so funny. He's so damn good. If you've ever seen him or get the chance to see him do stand up. He's so freaking good and to be able and will hines as well is just one of my all-time favorite people and performers i think he's just such a genius and to be able to be like and they had never met before so to be able to like pull them in and put them in a room and like just go because yeah no, you yeah, guys are partners like you didn't yeah. know each other but you guys work <laughs> yeah. together <laughs> yeah and they just they knew exactly what to do and they were off and running and it was it's so lucky yeah i think that's a bit of it too and i think that's probably you know, um, 
like let me know what you think about this too is like part of the the magic or they say 90% of a successful performance is the casting right mm -hmm. um so casting is a thing it's a knack it's something that I, th I actually think I'm pretty good at it I think for I've always kind of been able to sort of see what I think people should be doing and there's not a lot of opportunity unless you're making something so it's been really fun to be able to be cooking on something and kind of knowing I got something for this yeah I mean I think it's I think the best directors absolutely see people in a way mm -hmm. that you know other and, and the same for casting right a casting director obviously really sees people really well but directors it's 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 imperative like it is such a skill and and um you know I think one of the things I think there's that stigma of like so many directors tend to just focus on the technical um when so which don't get me wrong that's so important and it's part of it but the other part is the talent and is pulling those performances and is mm -hmm. it's a chemistry project of mixing and matching and you know yes yeah yes, absolutely and that's that's the fun of it that's i think was one of the most fun revelations to me in getting to school and realizing you know you're going to be confronted with the camera jocks what i call like camera jocks or the um tech just anyone in any field who's very focused on the technical aspects of it can be intimidating right and mm -hmm. you get a lot of that around camera um and brings out so, imposter syndrome <laughs> yes, yes yes and so that first semester um just we had to make a few films and it, it became immediately apparent to me that the the and sweet people but the camera talks at the end like couldn't tell a story you know and you're mm -hmm. like oh man if i had had someone on this short that i made that's a little blown out and you know inconsistent or whatever but the story's there and man it hit and it was so fun and funny like I was a lot less, um, a lot felt a lot less like I was wearing, you know, uh, a lot less imposter syndrome, I guess. I like, sure, yeah, didn't feel like I was sneaking in the back door, you know, I was like, yeah, oh, this is the most important thing. Yeah, getting able to being able to talk with the technical people and having them be able to translate what you're saying, storytelling wise, to the tech side. Yeah, that yeah, is like so important. So important. And I was lucky enough to have a couple of really great experiences shooting. Um, like, uh, I finally had a really great DP experience where like, I hadn't quite in the early first few years, I hadn't quite had that I'd had some successful, fun things that we made. And then I had a couple experiences where I was like, Oh, this is what it's like when you gel. barely have yeah. to say, barely have to say a word. And yes, gel is a great way to put it where there's like this sort of simpatico relationship and, and it felt so wonderful to find that. And then in addition to that, um, I got, I, I started throwing myself into DPing positions if I need, had some credits that I needed to pick up or, or if I was going to, you know, volunteer on someone's set when I was like prepping my thesis it's like I got to get out there because I'm going to need favors and I would work camera department or you know second AC kind of thing um I did a couple of uh virtual productions when we were in lockdown and then my film Boo Hag, which I think you saw I think I yes saw you, yeah yeah which we did in quarantine um I had a full crew on zoom but it was just me on location so I was able so to work with the camera myself Wow. Okay. I was going to ask about that because, um, so Boo Hag is 
amazing, hilarious. And um, like, I mean, both of the things that what I really love when I mentioned, well, this is before the listeners, but I mentioned at the top of our meeting that um, I really feel like your style, you know, really shines through. It's very clear what your, what your voice is and mm-hmm. yeah. And you're, um, you know, all Perfect. the, yeah, <laughs> good, good. I, I feel honored to, to have watched, you know, your films. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I feel honored to have the feedback because it's all been a bit in a vacuum, you know? Yeah. When you're in school and it's, you know, your, your peers, um, but yes, it, it's excellent. And, and Boohag, I was very impressed. This was, you know, this is about two roommates and one of them is basically like a medium, essentially. She, a witch, um, you know, a conjure woman, a conjure woman. Yes. yes, yes. <laughs> and, uh, so hilarious, you know, how you were able to blend the comedy of it, right? Like the basic, you know, roommate shenanigans and, uh, bickering with the um you know a, a, a spirit being conjured that they're trying to get out of the house I mean that takes such skill to be able to balance I mean horror comedies are a really hard genre and I think a lot of people try to do them but they don't do them effectively mm-hmm. do you feel like not that it was a horror but kind of you know it had yeah, those elements yeah, yeah. Um, do you feel like trying to tackle things in addition to um Like, do you like to try, I know you said that comedy was kind of your lane, but like. Yes, but I call, I like, I really love and have been specific the whole time with like, I'm making what I call serious comedy, which to me is like, it's rooted in dramatic stakes. It feels like a film. Um, And what that's led to is me, my realization that I have this love for genre because as you know, like Il Corpo is sort of this mid-century, Italian mid-century, you know, like I love tackling, I I feel not intimidated by genre. So if I can find a way to make, you know, all of that work, I'm going to commit to the stakes. I'm going to commit to the realness of and and honor the genre. And then I'm also going to be, you know, obviously delivering um, on the comedy and finding the funny in it. And to me, it's also really important. Like I, this all kind of started cause I had missed and been such a fan of, you know, comedies of the 80s, 70s and 80s where like they were allowed to be films first. Yes, yes. And then it seemed like we kind of got into this two dimensional sort of point and shoot, um, you know, high gloss. Uh, yes, that's what I say. Comedy. comedy became so glossy. Mm-hmm. So, and like, I felt like I was always screaming to the ether being like, you can do silly in a real way. Why is nobody doing silly in a real way anymore? You know, or like Mm -hmm. over the top in a real way. Um, Mm -hmm. So I totally identify with that as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I realized something recently, this is a little bit tangential, but like just the other day I realized, cause I'm, I'm sort of working with someone on, uh, we're planning a shoot. Someone brought me a script or someone from the comedy world from the UCB world. And it was funny because as we were talking about script and we need to do some work to make it, I'm, you know, I, now with this experience, having shot a lot of films, I always have to ask like, why does this have to be a film? Like, well, it, you know, if it could be a, a stage sketch, we don't have, we don't need to shoot it. So we got to make sure we know why we're making a movie today. And Absolutely. <laughs> part of that, I realized very recently was that it's story, right? Like sketch never had or doesn't have the same responsibility to story, right? A story is like a character wants something very badly and is having trouble getting it. 
you have that's something that you have to honor or you don't have a story and then sketch just doesn't have the same requirement it's gotta be funny yeah so I realized for myself after spending so much time in you know the sketch world that I'm like that probably has always been a hard truth for me that I was not necessarily honoring you know sure yeah and it's so funny that you say that too um but I I bet you all that sketch time probably really helped you as a storyteller yeah. in a way because what it does is it teaches you how to heighten mm -hmm. mistakes because mm -hmm. a, a sketch right it's just like heightening the joke really right um and to be succinct yeah yeah the beginning middle and end yeah yeah how to get in and out yeah out of um fat yeah it was definitely good training I'm so grateful for it and I I'm grateful for the fact that I did it so much of it for so long <laughs> not totally getting it you know what I mean? yeah like, I mean, you're I, learning I, yeah I had to work that much harder to um, make it make sense for me to be fulfilling so yeah I was always pushing things and kind of always hanging out in high concept plan and always wanting to make things mean something mm -hmm. and you know it's just not always a requirement so it's like I got to do it against the current I guess or it was like running with wing ankle weights as I like to say where it's like it wasn't um had I been like a super um natural sketch writer uh which I did and did well for a long time but I wouldn't call myself a natural you know I could be writing on late night or something and I don't know that that would be my I, based on your films, I don't think it is your path. I think you're on your path. <laughs> um, right, right. Not that, I mean, I've never seen, I'm sure you're an amazing uh, sketch performer and writer. Um, I just meant to say that that I, I like what you're doing with the the full storytelling. Yeah, Thank so. You. And, and I love I love it so much that I would only say that like, it all feels very on the path, natural, like with the current versus like, I just remember all these years I would, I would be like, ask for a sketch packet or a sample, you know, like a, a late night packet or whatever. And it just seemed so like, oh, the last thing I wanted to have to do. And it was always just so like against the grain for me. Yes. I, man, I feel like I'm really talking to um, a, such a version of myself. Like I, 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 same exact thing. It was not my forte. I would, I would fight and I would get them done and I would hand in what I thought were like solid sketches, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. but it, it, what didn't ever come wholly natural to me. And I was always more interested in, like you said, like wanting it to say something, you know, or, you know, I wanted things. Why? Yes. <laughs> Why are we saying that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love that. Um, I do want to, cause I know I sort of backtracked, but I, I had just, um, wanted to talk about genre when you brought up boo hag, but also with Buhag, you mentioned that you filmed it in COVID. So I was going to ask you about the crew aspect because I noticed on, you know, the little info uh, when I watched it on Vimeo, it said that it was shot in a COVID safe environment with just the director and actors. But then mm -hmm. I'm watching it and I'm like, but there was a DP, like, mm -hmm. you know, so it was you. Well, no, my DP worked remotely and she was actually able to, so we had, it was wild. I mean, it was absolutely crazy. So we had full prep. Okay. Full production crew. Um, everything that we planned, Kat and I planned together. You know, she she was, um, we had a virtual gaffer, which was just like our producer kind of being there for her if we needed to, if they needed to talk quickly about what the light change was going to be so they could communicate to me quickly. But essentially I was a puppet. 
<laughs> and um, we ran that room through Zoom. We had we were shooting on a Black Magic, and we had what was called an ATEM switcher, which I think was is originally for like live TV. Um, gotcha. Switching, but it allowed us to run through the switcher. It allowed Kat to be able to actually like watch the histogram, and she could pull focus. And she couldn't. Um, she could set focus she couldn't pull focus well because it was too glitchy but she could set focus so that helped like why if i was doing something else obviously wow i'm so fascinated by this yeah it was wild it was really kind of like very cool and also like physically brutally hard because think about basically we were supposed to be in a situation where we were mailing gear to actors and then doing it all remotely but once we got, we petitioned and we got approval to get into an Airbnb, the three of us, then it was like, okay, now we're making, we're making a movie. So we're like, we're bringing the lights. We're, we're leveling up what we are planning and expecting to be able to accomplish. But then, you know, I had to gaff and grip and I mean, you and know, production like, design, you had to show up in production design. It. Yeah. And, we and had it's killer. excellent production yeah. design. Yeah. It's so good. Now they, I mean, those gals there, there were incredible production designers from um, FITM and also our costume designers and they worked their butts off, pulled everything, designed everything. And again, and they're just telling you, you get there and they're like, hang it up to the left, put it yeah. here, line them up. Yep. Yeah. yeah, cool, cool. Yeah, and like making all of the calls and decisions about, you know, doing all the continuity. And I will say though, that there was one aspect, as you can see in that bedroom, that wall was not black. We brought, um, we brought swaths of cloth and blacked out the wall. Gotcha. So that was one element that like, I just had to do and they just had to watch me. <laughs> it was wild. It was like, there. Some of it was as stressful for them as it was for me, where they're like, I wish I could help. And I just yeah. can't. <laughs> yeah, totally. Man, but that is, I mean, it's a very, it's in, insanely impressive. Um, yeah, because I mean, yeah. I've, I've watched some stuff that people have shot during, that they shot during lockdown remotely. Some of it's really good and some of it's really not. And not, you know, we all, it's a, many challenges and mm -hmm. you, really uh pulled out something i mean it's crazy it's we really went, crazy we went full tilt we went full tilt yeah. it. it was it was really crazy and it's kind of we laugh because it's like it's not like a repeatable skill really it's not like you know at the time sc did not get approval to go back into production the way the rest the rest of the state was greenlit but since it was an educational institution it was considered education, right. not production and they never got greenlit. So they are now in this semester able to do protocols, but last year it was, um, it was a hard no. So it was, it was, you know, like I have a lot of, I'm very grateful in many ways for the fact that production is always gonna be, someone once told me, it's always a knife fight. It's just a matter of how deep you get cut and how quickly you cauterize the wound, right? Like it's yeah. always an animal, it's always a beast. It's always about problem solving and pivoting and all of that stuff. And this was all pivoting. It was all, you know, getting really having to be extremely creative at every turn and figuring out how to basically reinvent the wheel in a way. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I talked to um, uh, another director, Elaine Chu. She's, she's excellent. She, and she was so kind. She, um, <laughs> cause you just said now that it was um, a reinventing the wheel and B, um, that it might not translate to like a usable skill that you'd use again. However, I will say that remote stuff is a lot of it is staying remote. She so mentioned she has like a full job directing commercials 
over zoom oh, yeah. oh fantastic it's, so okay. it's like still it's it's still a thing yeah oh well, hey i'm available with yeah. a special set of skills everybody totally. yeah it's so it don't actually, be shy about that that's all i'm yeah. saying it's a thing now <laughs> yeah yeah no i and i one of the project that i dp'd for was well, all virtual so i did dp over zoom as well so that was actually a fun run up you know getting a little bit more time with camera before doing boo hag or Shadow Man, which is the full title of the film, and I love so much how long it is. Boo Hag or Shadow Man. Or Shadow Man, that's right, yes. <laughs> By Jalen Young, um, so fun. Um, but I was gonna say that it did result in, I was a finalist for this really amazing um, grant that I told you about cutting the, <laughs> cut the seven minute reel for. And um, that was, they're all about, it's basically a lab that is run out of SD, um, the engineering school actually but it's in coordination with the, the CTOs for a lot of the studios and their purpose is to, I guess, reinvent the wheel, you know, push boundaries in virtual production. So right. there's a reason that like that, let, now what they mean by virtual production has more to do with like massive LED, you know, monitors on stages and figuring out how to perfect lighting, you know, synthetically on a stage and uh, there's a lot of other elements like pushing, creating reasons to have to use virtual production that has never existed before. So there was the project that won the grant. Um, so excited for this is directed by, created and directed by Steve Kerr, who's a, a classmate of mine and oh, just cool. fantastic. And he, they're doing something that's sort of like on a Disney Pixar scope almost. You know what I mean? Like yeah. It's like, it's it sounds very cool i'm hoping to actually be on set for that um but that led to the a few other things and actually has led to what my next the next project that i'm focusing on for myself to raise money um because there were elements that came through for me through that process from some of the companies and some of the participants who are gonna who actually want to contribute to that production. super cool what so what what is the next what is the next well, right now I'm hoping, and I've had already been fortunate enough to be presented with a project that was just kind of for hire. You know, I get to shoot somebody else's project. I shot with a, an actress who was in El Corpo, um, Lindsay Ames. Some, I was a concept with her. Okay. It was a true story that we got to sort of mine the, the funny out of. And it was so fun. Speaking of groundlings, we got uh, Carrie Aisley to play her mom. <laughs> um, it was such a fun day. We shot one day. I hope to be able to continue to do these little projects that aren't, you know, kind of on my dime. My goal is to like no longer ever spend the dime of my own right. <laughs> possible. And so for, so I hope to be able to continue to do those. I have another one on the docket. Um, and then what I'm focusing on. So my thesis, if anybody ever wants to just help me with that uh, is a muscle car road comedy, which is not what I'm going to focus on in the short term because it was pretty big in scope. Uh -huh. um, but the concept for that I originally pitched for the grant is uh, I'm very excited about. And that is what I'm going to focus. Basically what I was told at the end of that process was that one of, this, one of the CEOs for one of the camera companies was really into the project and they would be willing to contribute. Amazing. The, the, <laughs> thank you. And then the the organization itself had has a 
a, a luxury vehicle that I'm, I'm hopefully being. So they were like, find the rest of the money and you have these elements. And that's what I'm going to focus on raising money for in the short term. Amazing. As like, as it, I would love to shoot my thesis, but I think this is just a little bit more achievable in the short term. And is this, um, is this a feature? Is it? What, this would still be a short. It a would short, be, cool. yeah, it would probably be about 10 to 12. Cool. Um, but the idea being that what I didn't get to do with my thesis is shoot something that looks like um, a snippet or sample of something that is fully budgeted yeah. and real with a full crew. Because that's what I would like to do next is accomplish something that is on the level. Yeah, uh, increase you know. in scale. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Level up. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited about that. I love that. And I think that's a, that's like a solid goal. That's something that, you know, especially this podcast is, you know, all about independent, you know, film people who make stuff on their own, and and I, and the thing that sometimes you can get so lost in that that you forget that like you're worthy of of taking that leap and and wanting, you know, like um, we have my wife and I are we bought the script. Um, I'm looking. I'm hoping to direct mm -hmm. it. Yeah, Great. and it's um, it's just excellent and and so fun and it's, it's a dramedy and I just can't wait. And, but we were talking to a producer friend of mine and he, you know, his big thing, he had said like, you know, I'm just not it, like scrappy projects don't excite me anymore, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and it was that thing of like, and that made me go like, yeah, you know what? Like, I think I've made enough scrappy projects, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it's yeah. like, totally, I think it's totally, you know, to keep that in mind where you're like, so what's next? And yeah you know, elevate myself that way. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And I, and I think, yeah, that's what I'm kind of keeping my eye on the ball with that, especially after Boo Hag, um, I was like, I can do it all. I mean, <laughs> did not do it all. I had an amazing team, but you know, push come to shove on set. I could like El Corpo. I was, I was running sound and it was just me and my DP and one grip gap swing. Amazing. And I love how, I love how creative El Corpo was too. Um, in, in terms of even just like some of the, the, just the, the cool technical shots, you know, the overlooking of the pool and the, you know, people disappearing and reappearing, yeah. you know, and dancing in front of the, um, yes. that, like backdrop, like just very, you know, stylistic stuff yeah. that, that really sets it apart. Um, thank you. That yeah. was really just fun. It was, it was actually for a class and I, I mean, it's the most valuable class I took at USC. It's the least amount of time in a classroom. It's literally like, it's called advanced directing and you have to make seven films. Oh my gosh. Semester. Oh my gosh. And I, and I had actually, Fanland had been my summer extracurricular project that summer, but it got pushed, production got pushed. So I actually shot that the first week of school and then made seven films. Oh my God. <laughs> it's kind of like the Iron Man of you know, or yeah. iron craft of um, filmmaking. And I was, you know, intimidated by it. Obviously, I didn't know if I would break, I did break my knee at the very last day. Um, <laughs> but, oh my gosh. <laughs> but I was like, if I want to be a director, I feel like I should not say no to this, like that I should take this class. And that, that was actually genre. So that each assignment was genre based. It was like, oh, you get cool. a prompt, a word and a genre. So that was like was actually Italian mid-century. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. I love that so much. And um, yeah, you know, so 
you're, you want to level up, you've gotten to do all this stuff. We didn't really talk about Fanland yet, but what an interesting, just to like touch on that real quick, um, tons of comedic talent in that as well um, that I recognize, you know, from the comedy scene. I, I, I don't know Steph to love, but I recognized her there. And of course, Christian um, Duguay. Yes. Is that how you say his name? How do you say his Duguay. name? Duguay. Duguay. Okay. Duguay. Um, he, uh, I've seen him. He's hilarious. Um, my husband, by the way. <laughs> oh, wait, are you like in real life? In real life. Yes. Oh, cool, cool. <laughs> I didn't know that. Well, he's hilarious. And um, yeah. He's uh, so funny. Check out his podcast, Belly Heat. It's so good. Belly Heat? It's so good. That's hilarious. I will. Perfect. <laughs> um, but this was, a, so, and that this is a project that you're hoping to turn into like a sketch series. Um, yeah. It, it was actually Christian and Sean um, uh, Green. Um, and that was their concept was, um, and I still think like every, uh, it's probably been about three, two to three seasons since we shot that. And every time, you know, sports football comes around, it comes like, around. I'm like, I'm like, it is such a good idea for a show, which is kind of key and peel level. I would say, I mean, like, not that that's what we shot necessarily, but key and peel level videos where you're committing to production. Yes. Right. Value in yes. the sketch. So it's not like point and shoot sketch. It's, it's like, let's get into the life and real world of this story. And each one would be sort of realistic. And they're all, it's called Fan Lander. That was the concept because um, it was every sketch would be rooted in fan culture. Yeah, which is, I think, hilarious. And, and there's something there, absolutely. Yeah, I um, think so too. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I had this experience once. I mean, I'm a huge football fan. So right away I was like, oh, football. We are <laughs> um, too over here. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yes, and so uh, I. Uh, Who's your team? unfortunately it's the Vikings so the Eagles you know uh gave me the worst experience of my life a few years ago but yeah yeah we don't love the Eagles but Sean Green does love the Eagles that was a Sean Green totally totally yeah because he's um married to is that Tess Barker's Barker's husband husband, okay yeah yeah um yeah I see his I see his and her Eagles tweets (laughs) 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 um but yeah like it really is a thing. I even just, I mean, every sport too, it really has. I went to a baseball game here once in LA and it was, it was a really sleepy game. We were way in, you know, the upper deck really like boring. Like it was just like that kind of vibe way too hot. And suddenly like, and the whole section of people is just like, kind of like, why am I here in the sun today? Like, Mm -hmm. and this ball pops up into the section, you know, and suddenly like everyone springs to life and everyone's like, ah, you know, like hitting it. And this lady <laughs> accidentally hits it down. And I watched like mom mentality take over. These people were just like, the, everyone's like, you suck. And we're just like, this woman's like, oh my God. Um, and I just feel like any type of situation with sports is so funny. Like there's fans get out of control. They get so, so fast. It goes from yes, ending a beach ball. So keep it alive. Keep it alive. Yes, 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 yes. Fuck you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Kill you. Die. Um. There's been some gnarly, I have seen some gnarly, yeah fan behavior at because we went to a lot of games at um coliseum so we saw them all and eagles are pretty they're pretty bad (laughs) they're intense they're intense they're intense intense. yeah i think all east coast uh fans i feel like are some of the most intense in in the country i would say um 
Yes. And uh, where's Roethlisberger, Roethlisberger play for? Oh, Pittsburgh. Yeah, Steelers and I want to say Saints are also pretty. The Saints, ruthless. true. Yeah. And the Raiders fans are pretty tough as well. Love you all, Mina. <laughs> I know. I, I doubt like anyone who listens to this podcast cares about football. Um, I've, I've been trying to do some football material like at Frog Time where I'm like, oh, nobody cares. Nobody I'm, cares. But, and it's so sad. We're here because we don't care about football. You understand? I know. <laughs> I wrote a female football feature about like, it's very much like, um, like little giants, but like with, it because at my high school we had a female quarterback great i know oh, yeah. but she she was the backup but she still was a, fem- a female quarterback which That's is really huge. rad yeah and back then like i mean blew my mind and so i decided that i wanted to write something you know like she lost the state title game in high school and because of a you know an illegal hit or like you know something like that and wanted to um couldn't really recover and, and so what i did was i had like a it's basically like an Amy Schumer opposite Ronda Rousey, like, you know, broad uh-huh. comedy, but uh-huh. Ronda's character was like just a big girl. And so she was like a linebacker and Amy. Uh-huh. And so there was all this hoopla about these two women playing football. Yes. And so Rhonda, there was a flea flicker and she hits Amy early. We'll just call them Amy and Rhonda hits her early and you know, she can't recover cut to 20 years later. And She's, you know, ESPN wants to do a doc thing for Ronda Rousey about it. And Amy won't participate unless she replays her in a rematch. So it's like bad moms meets, you know, yeah, little giants. Fun. I'm like, that would be so fun. But With a little bit of Mara down, right? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, that edge in there. <laughs> <laughs> That's so fun. I believe, believe it or not, I have, um, I had wanted to and had pitched and wrote I think an outline for a female football story as well. Cause Good. I was always, like, I wanted to, I was like, uh, what is it? Every, any given Sunday is like, we can do better. It was maybe the last like yeah. movie movie. And it's yeah. like, we can, we can, we can do better. Get the, it, what it accomplished was the feeling of being on the field. And there was like a lot of good in that, but story-wise you're like, we could, we could do better. We can totally do better. <laughs> and uh, the, that's so funny that you also, cause I, I don't know if I, but I was going to share that when I was pitching it for a short, uh, I think it was a short film writing class or something, some requirement. And that I think I had two different professors go, but yeah, but they, but you mean like as a kicker? And I was like, no, they're like, yeah, but that wouldn't happen. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm not going to have this argument with you. <laughs> I know, I know. That is happening. What? He's like, but not professionally. I'm like, okay, um, well, we're very close. And this is a story that I think would be very interesting. I had a gal in my high school and I think I'm senior, I'm, you know, probably a little bit ahead of you who was on the football team. It's like, yeah, it's a strange denial. Yeah. And it's that thing where it's like, how about we get some stories like this out there to motivate young girls to say you can go try out for football yeah yeah because yeah. like, of course have... there's not that many because they don't know they can do it <laughs> right we have a defensive coach right 49ers yeah i'm getting there pretty rad and a and a, a official too Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm so sorry for, you know, I know we, we veered off here um, (laughs) into football, but that was great. Thank you for talking about that with me. (laughs) Um, 
we, you know, should start wrapping up here. So you've talked about the next projects that you're that you're working on. Um, we got to plug your Frogtown show, which I'm I'm thrilled about. Um, can can you just share like as far as your directing journey goes, what would be the ultimate like dream job for you? Are you like I want to do? Do you want to do TV? Do you want to do features? Like, what's the ultimate dream slash goal? Yeah, I would love to. So my approach to TV, and this is an interesting thing I see when you're like focused on comedy, they do kind of try to point you toward TV because that's where you're going to work probably, right? That's just there are more comedic television shows than feature comedies. But I was I was like, I'm not letting go of my commitment to the practice of comedic filmmaking because A, I don't see myself not doing that. And B, my whole thing is that I want I want um, what I'm trying to do is what I call cinematic comedy. Yeah. You know? So I want to, even if I were doing TV, I would want to bring into that, you know, the cinematic integrity of filmmaking. And I feel like um, one cool thing is that like, I, I really do have, I put all my eggs in uncashed baskets or whatever, but like with the features that we've been writing, I feel like they have potential. It would be great to be able to, you know, sell a script that I might not necessarily direct, but would you know potentially lead to being legitimized enough to be able to direct you know, the next one, direct, direct the next one, and direct and or start directing episodes, which I think would be um, definitely very fun and cool. And I just binged and finished Hacks, and uh, for a while, I would say Hiro Mirai was like my best. Um, like hero yeah. <laughs> in, in terms of the tone of comedy and like the, you know, and sort of commitment to the filmic storytelling that I had the best example I had, but now I'm having watched the whole season of Hacks, like I've always been a huge fan of Luciano and obviously Broad City. This is next level too. It's just mm -hmm. like, I might not have shot a show like Broad City, just I might not be ever be that fast paced or sort of like quick and, um, but but or you know like joke forward which is the ultimate like uh value of that show it's so good i just i don't move that fast my <laughs> my jokes aren't that quick in sure yeah in terms of my rhythm um so hacks is a version of her work that is just so inspiring to me and i will also say that this is i don't take to the internet a lot it's too bad i just don't speak the language that well i do what i have to but like because i don't do it i don't i like i'm just not on there often enough and i always want to do the fanning out thing and like write the, the letter so Lucia, if you're out there um this is my love letter to hacks but also um zola which i didn't I feel like it hasn't been talked about enough. I saw it in the theater. Me too. Again. Me too. Did you? Yeah. yeah. Janica Bravo. Yeah. Yeah. Janica. And, she, and I, oh, I like, <laughs> that's how you see it. I know it's a tough one. There's so many constants, but the <laughs> Janica <laughs> Bravo. And uh, so inspired because I think, yeah, when I, again, when I use pull references or I'm, when I'm imagining, um, you know, pulling stills or samples in my mind of things that I'm, you know, storyboarding or or the texture, visual texture of something I'm trying to accomplish, especially in the filmic stuff, and especially with D and the D, which was the thesis that got, you know, sort of yeah. paused. A lot of my references are like Scorsese or, you know, uh, Tarantino or whatever. And it's like, there aren't a lot of female references for that 
for that look and feel or somebody called it recently the is there i think i saw somebody tweet this like is there a name for the spring breakers zola aesthetic <laughs> which is which is i don't know if they necessarily they are all in florida and yes they are fast and beautiful and kind of heightened um in this way that i just am grateful for i thought that was a brilliant movie yeah it's brilliant filmmaking um and i'm just glad to have an example to point to now of an aesthetic of like yeah like that's my vibe yeah right 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 yeah i just was very inspired and both yeah both hacks and um Zolo were very inspiring and previous to that i love you know atlanta and barry and they're different but they both have at the baseline even though they're stylistically different visually different aesthetically different they have that commitment to sort of cinematic yes. filmic integrity they both have it but just in different ways yeah and that and that to me is comes back around to my love and interest in genre which is tackle what the project is and honor you know the aesthetic of what that is and that's yes. I think I think that's me I don't think I necessarily would ever have like a singular look but more so a voice that comes through like tackle what the project yes. wants you know, yes totally totally to I love that well this was so lovely this it was, was so lovely. lovely it was so lovely to meet you for folks at home I I forgot that this was video so if I've been messing with my hands <laughs> all the time you know why I'm like well, what do I look like I help I can't see well I'll send this around the audio file guys <laughs> yeah totally yeah there there will be the audio file for sure um and and um it, you, you are lovely it was lovely and Thank yeah, so and, and everybody check out Emily Maya Mills on social media and, and the Frogtown show. Yes, we'll see you out there. Thank you so much for having me, Heather. Yeah, thank you. So Have nice a beautiful you. rest of your day. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> Bye. Bye.